Welcome to Power to Speak, the podcast. I'm Jackie Goddard, and it's my mission to help people market themselves effectively and show up powerfully for their audience by using their voice and their story to share their message and ideas. Not only does the podcast allow me to talk to interesting, inspiring and successful individuals, but it gives me and you, dear listener, the opportunity to learn from the best. Whether business or thought leader, entrepreneur or author, what's been their journey And how have they used their voice and their story to create that success? My podcast guest this week is leadership coach and TEDx speaker, Joanna Hooper. A formal naval officer, Joanna has had many experiences that have tested her own leadership skills and has a humdinger of a story to prove it. Ever been on a sinking ship whilst in a leadership role? Joanna has and uses her story to share insights into building resilience. It's also the basis of her illuminating TEDx talk. During our chat together, we discuss the sinking ship, resilience, stress, and the importance of humor. Also, the accidental monster and the ugly mirror. Fascinating and inspiring. Enjoy. So welcome to Power to Speak, the podcast. And my guest today is Joanna Hooper. So welcome, Joanna. Hello. Hello, hello. Joanna, you run Limitless Peak Performance and you are a small business leadership coach. Is that, the, is that the correct way of uh, introducing you? It is, although you didn't make uh, nearly enough of a mock of the length of my business name uh, than you should have done. So Limitless Peak Performance, nice idea, very hard to say in shorthand. <laughs> yeah, and I did have trouble putting it on my board, I have to oh, say. No. <laughs> I mean, what I should have done was just left off the www. But yes. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, limitless peak performance. I mean that that, that is quite a mouthful. Why why the name? Tell us a little bit about about what what the name means to you and the business. Well, this is definitely one of those cases where um, I did a lot of thinking about my business name and what it means to me, but not necessarily how it would work in practice, giving out as an email address, for example. Um, so. Uh, Uh, and this will come apparently in my story, I'm a huge believer that we are never the finished article, that our opportunities for development are indeed limitless, and that we all have our own versions of peak performance, and that, you know, therefore that stops us having to try and compare ourselves to other people's peak performance. So the idea being that my business would be all about kind of realising that that potential in people to reach their version of an unlimited kind of peak performance, basically. Ah, and how, how, how did you come to that conclusion? Partly from my own story, to be honest with you. So, um, uh, you know, if you'd have said to me back at the age of 18, I'd end up doing what I would be doing now. I'm not sure I'd have believed you. Uh, There's quite a lot of personal growth and development that's gone along that way. Um, I'm not sure I'm all that recognisable in some respects for my 18-year-old self. So partly, you know, kind of mirroring my own experiences, but also recognising other people, um, particularly as a coach, uh, you know, seeing transformations in people that even they couldn't have predicted, let alone you. You know, that's kind of the stuff where it comes from, really. Yeah, no, and I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and I don't think any of us at this uh, our, my ripe old age anyway would recognize ourselves as you know the 18 year old that we were yeah. what was I was wearing strange clothes and looking at I was doing a fashion course so yeah completely completely different but it's you come from you are now doing something completely different as you said yes. because you you spent 23 years in the navy I did I can't quite believe it now when you say it like that but yes yeah. I did so so how did you end up in the navy honestly two crappy yes. A levels 
um, when I was at school, uh, it was a it was a boarding school because my father was in the navy as well. And um, unless you did pretty well at A levels, the, the you know further education wasn't really a thing. It wasn't really an opportunity for you. So I got two Ds at A level because I you know I kind of stopped finding the school environment kind of helpful or conducive to my learning. So I kind of, you know, drummed my fingers a bit, went, mm, what the hell am I going to do now? And because my father was in the Navy, I thought, well, I'll give it a go. Even when I joined up at the age of 18, I was thinking I'll give it a go for a bit. You know, I didn't expect to spend 23 years there. Uh, I, I couldn't have predicted anything like that. Um, the good thing about the Navy is that it helped me you know, improve my educational qualifications. So now I've got two masters, you know, yeah. talk about the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, but uh, it got it got me to grow quite a lot in quite a lot of different ways. And I think because each of my jobs every two years was different and stretching and all that kind of stuff, it didn't feel like 23 years. Yeah. I mean, and, and so did you travel? <laughs> that probably bit. sounds like a really Just silly a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Um I think the only places I haven't been are communist countries for the obvious reasons. Um, you know, the Middle East, the Far East, uh, uh, Europe, America, but also for me personally, uh, the Antarctic, which was one of the highlights of my career down, down in South America, South Africa and the Antarctic. Wow. Wow. Mm. And uh, yeah, we, I mean, you, you need a certain amount of resilience to to just to to live in that environment even do you think yeah I mean, very much this, so. is, this is completely alien to me but I would imagine that when you when you go into something like the Royal Navy you are very much dictated to by you know your, your whole kind of living experience is dictated by the job is is that right it is I suppose the bit for resilience for me is not necessarily that can you put up with being told what to do 24 or 7 um, for me, it's actually, you know, we're talking about an armed force. They are the delivery, you know, deliverers of, of uh, uh, violence, for one of a better reason. So the nature of the environment is not soft and fluffy. Um, and one of the things I've really noticed since leaving the Navy is how sharp the banter was, you know, how um, uh, kind of edgy all the banter was. So uh, now that I've been out of the Navy for whatever it is, six or seven years, I've noticed that I'm no longer the first one to come up with the joke or the banter that kind of um, gently chides somebody on something that they're doing or saying or feeling or something like that. So it's quite a, you know, it's a relatively harsh environment. We have to do harsh things. Um, I, I joined up with the girls, uh, you know, when the girls were first going to sea back in 1992. So that had its challenges as well. So, no, it's definitely not an environment um, uh, for which, um, I don't know, you, you can kind of wander through without a, a certain level of strength and resilience, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would, I would imagine that you need quite a, a thick skin to, yes. to sort of be part of that environment and, and humor, I would say. Oh, yes. <laughs> a, yeah. Definitely a good coping strategy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, let's 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 talk a little bit about your TED talk, yeah. Because I don't know if, if anybody out there has uh, has actually um, seen it. And if not, I highly recommend going and checking out Joanna's uh, TED talk. I have a I have an image here. Let me find the image uh, mm. because, apart from anything else, I think you need to be quite brave to stand on a TED stage on that little red spot and uh, deliver uh, something for twenty minutes that engages your audience. But obviously, what you have is a, an amazing story to tell. So obviously the, 
the the, te- the talk itself was really around your business and resilience and and the work yeah. you do with leaders. Yes, but actually, it was your story, or or specifically a story within your career that yes. you used to then teach the people in the audience. Yes. So uh, um, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, I was once on a ship. It was a naval warship. It was down in uh, the Magellan Straits off the coast of, um, off the bottom of uh, South America. And uh, really long story short, we started to to sink and were in danger of capsizing. Um, and, uh, you know, to do justice to the topic in a couple of seconds is very tricky, but we were within 12 minutes of needing to evacuating the ship. You know, we thought the ship was going. Um And unsurprisingly, that was quite a stressful uh, kind of event. And um, it strikes me there's quite a lot of rich learning that comes out of those sinking ship stories in our lives. And I wonder sometimes whether or not we pay attention to them or they just become a good Lord, don't ever want to repeat that again. And what I've tried to do both with the TED talk and actually some of the other talks I do is bring to life the learning journey that I've been on. So that happened, that sinking ship uh, story is from 2008. So we're talking quite a long time of reflective practice for me, for want of a better word, of looking back again. okay, so you know, what was going on for me in that moment? What was going on for me after that moment? What have I learned about myself since then? What do I put into my day-to-day practice? Uh, what do I help other people put into day-to-day practice? You know, I use that sinking ship story for, for a bunch of very rich learning, both about myself and about other people. And the key premise that I come up with is um uh, uh you know in, in a kind of trademarked way a stress deserves diagnosis i think there's a whole bunch of us looking for resilience building practices um and clutching at straws for want of a better word of the things that we can do so this week i'm going to try mindfulness next week it's yoga uh the week after that is meditation we have no idea what we're doing it for we have no idea what we're trying to fix with it and we have no idea whether it's going to work for us so we try it for a bit it doesn't work we put it down again and we don't we haven't gone through that diagnostic pra- practice of saying well what is it that i need and therefore is this the right thing for me to take on and that's what i Basically, my TED talk, I tried to kind of, you know, obviously tell the story, which is quite impactful, but then also encourage people to do that kind of um, analysis of why they're stressed, what's stressing them out and what they can do about it. Yeah. I mean, and and what really struck me after what happened with the ship and that process that you went through on board, that afterwards you had so many physical ailments Yeah, that were kind of related to that that. You know, it's it's post traumatic stress, isn't it? Really, and, I guess and it, it is. It comes yeah. out physically. So, yes. how did you how did you deal with that? Well, I think at the time I was, and it sounds a bit of a cliche, and I wonder how many of us would say this as well. I was so busy, I'm not sure I noticed. Um, there was so much to do in the aftermath of the flood and I was the logistics officer. So, uh, you know, feeding people, you know, toilet facilities, getting people back to the UK, reclothing some people, uh, giving them passports and visas because that stuff had all been sunk. You know, there's quite a lot to do, get rid of all the rubbish on board ship. Um, so I wasn't sure I was uh, present enough to pay attention to what was going on to me. So in some of those uh, stress symptoms that I talk about, I only really noticed that they were going on for me afterwards. And now I can see that it's like I've dialed up my noticing and now I see them. So now I notice if I'm chewing my fingers, for example, okay, what's going on for me? Whereas before I just chewed my fingers, you know, I'd never yeah. made the the correlation between my stress levels and me chewing my fingers. Yeah. Yeah. And so is it, I mean, obviously you're talking about diagnostics, but is it, is it just that practice of noticing? Is There's a bit of that. And there's a framework that I provide through some of my coaching around uh, mental toughness, which helps us understand um, 
what might be a stress trigger. So it's it's a four C's model, confidence, commitment, challenge and control. And invariably, one of those C's is playing the larger part of the stress. So, you know, in the flood, for example, clearly I was out of control. The C was very much in control. Uh, the challenge was high because we had a lot to do in a short period of time. Um, you know, the commitment was definitely required. We couldn't give up. I couldn't go and sit in my cabin for a cup of tea. Do you know what I mean? That wasn't that wasn't really the time. Um, and confidence, particularly for me, because I wasn't sure I was up for the job. You know, I was meant to be the damage control officer, keeping the old girl afloat. And I wasn't sure I was up for it, to be honest with you. So, uh, you know, in that instance, all four of my C's were, you know, pinging off like red lights. But for, for the rest of us, there'll be one of them which has more of a power for us you know maybe it's about confidence uh, maybe it's about the minute we start to get over challenged or over committed then that's when it starts to trigger for us or when we feel out of control and what I do is I encourage people just to kind of rummage around in that as well so it's not just noticing what stress symptoms we had and I don't know if you um, remember from the TED talk that I kind of asked the audience you know how many of those were you ticking off as I spoke them and the number of people were kind of going actually yes and then the number of people going I hadn't I hadn't made that connection before uh, but then obviously getting under the skin of why, why are you feeling this way? What's causing it for you? Yeah. Do you think there's part of your, of what you went through that has, has made you good at the job that you do now? Or, or was it, was it something maybe that you learned from being part of the Navy that makes you good at what you're doing now? I don't know, possibly to be honest with you. Um, I think the two things that I really remember that I definitely use in my current practice, bearing in mind that, you know, I'm, I'm currently doing performance coaching, which is nothing like counting the bullets, blankets and beans on board a ship. Um, uh, the first one is using intelligence to create rapport. So getting, you know, getting to really know people. Um, and particularly if I think about the stressful situations on board ship, uh, one of the chaps who was meant to be one of my communication specialists um, started to get so stressed he couldn't speak to me very well. And uh, so, you know, kind of knowing him the way that I did, you know, finding a way to get him to calm down so he could carry on speaking to me. And then the other thing is getting behind how people present. So often we see people behaving oddly or badly. And we take them on face value and don't get curious about why they're showing up that way. And what I do know, again, from the flood is people don't always show up the way that you expect when they're stressed and kind of getting super curious about why that might be and what's going on for them and therefore how you need to respond in order to get them uh, to perform as best as they can be in some quite difficult circumstances. Um, I think I've always had a natural curiosity for what's going on for people. And that's definitely helpful as a coach, I think. I mean, it, it just, uh, I, I like the way that you, you say that when, when people are stressed, sometimes they show up differently to, to the way you expect them to. Yes. Um, and, you know, as much as it's probably not very relevant, but when years and years ago, I was a dresser at the, the Royal Shakespeare Company. Fabulous. And it, it was amazing. You'd, we'd be in rehearsals and, and the actors that I was dressing would be lovely. I mean, just mm. really, really nice come to performance come to press night they were hellish uh you know and 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 I learned from that that that's what stress can do for you yes you know, that's what if people are that nervous the adrenaline is really pumping then that will come out in in different ways 
So I call them accidental monsters. So, ah. you know, you take perfectly nice people, you dial up the pressure and all of a sudden they behave in ways that actually they wouldn't be that proud of. And yeah. I know I've certainly been an accidental monster on, you know, a number of occasions. Um, and it's just, as you say, the stress dials up and maybe you get more, a bit more terse. Maybe you get more, a bit impatient. Maybe you get a bit um, directive, you know, ordinarily not the ways that you'd like to be. There's a lovely expression, isn't there? Uh, under stress we regress so this <laughs> yes. idea that it doesn't matter how well me we might wish to perform and be ultimately you start to turn up that dial and 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 we won't be those things yeah so how do you deal with with leaders that 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 seem to not be able to cope with that stress that that are accidental monsters all mm. all the time well um i think the first one is something a friend of mine calls the ugly mirror uh, show them who are they when they're under pressure, show them what's the impact, show them the counterproductive effects of their leadership style. You know, the people who are hiding in the corners, the lies they're being told, the truths they're not being told, uh, you know, the performance that's not taking place, the productivity that's uh, vanishing because, you know, so the first one is an ugly mirror. And the second one is, um, for me, it's a bit, a bit, you know, back to that looking beyond, uh, Sometimes, uh, if you've heard the expression toxic leadership, toxic yeah. leadership can often come from underconfidence, I think. So if you can bolster the confidence, that toxic leadership tends to kind of evaporate. Um, but it can be hard. You know, I've definitely coached people who I haven't always liked the way that they're showing up. You know, you've got to kind of play that back to them. Do you know that this is what you're doing? Do you know that this is the impact you're having? Yeah. Yeah. I was just looking down because we were, we were talking before we started recording um, and, and you said that, that coaching is, is not a luxury. You it's know, not a luxury. No. And, and I found that as well with what I do, which is which a lot of what I do, as much as it is around sort of public speaking and standing on a stage, you know, maybe doing a TED talk. It's it really is about boosting people's confidence, yeah. but just giving them permission and telling them, actually, you can do this. There is there's, you know, there's nothing. Uh, there's no reason necessarily for them not to enjoy sharing their ideas, not to enjoy, yeah. you know, running their business. You know, the, the stress is something they kind of bring on themselves. And sometimes yeah. when you just give them that permission. So I, I absolutely agree. I think coaching is something everybody should go through because sometimes you just need that ugly mirror. Yes. Sometimes you just need somebody to show you. Yes. Uh, you know, how 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 you react in certain situations for you, yeah. because otherwise you can't, you know, you, you can't, can't do anything about it. No. Yeah. No. I think it's not just the ugly mirror. I think it's a cheerleader as well. So I've had some confidence crises throughout my life. And I do think there's a correlation between how I've shown up sometimes and a result of that confidence crisis. And if only I'd had a little cheerleader in the corner or somebody with an ugly mirror, gosh, what could my performance have been like if only I'd had that support? Do you know what I mean? So that for me is definitely something that I want to help people who aren't seeing the results they'd like, performing in a way that they'd like, getting the results from other people that they'd like, is just spend an hour. You know, yeah. let's see what's going on for you. Um, and I do think there's a part of us, you know, I can never remember, is it Jahari's window? Uh, there's a bit of us we don't even know ourselves. There's a dark spot of us we're, we're blind to. Uh, yeah. And sometimes we need somebody else's, you know, eyes to see that before we yeah. can have a go at it. Yeah. I mean, I say, you know, our, our stories are our unique selling point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's something in all of us that that we've either been through 
whether it's something quite traumatic that has kind of shaped the way we've got to this point. And, and as you say, people deal with it differently. Some people will go through a traumatic experience like you did on that ship and it will, uh, it, they'll, they'll use that fear going forward and yes. they'll keep that stress with them. Yes. And, and, and other people will see it as, as a learning. Yes. Uh, something to learn from and they will take it and they'll it, it will build empathy that then they will have when other people are going through stressful yeah. situations yes so is that something you see within within what you do yeah very much so so when I do this uh when I do some of the TED talk stuff in person I talk a lot about stress and resilience and so on and I tell the sinking ship story a fair bit invariably at the end of the speech as I'm leaving there's somebody runs up to me afterwards to tell me their version of the sinking ship story and yeah. I've heard some as you can imagine I've heard some you know, horror stories uh, in relation to the sinking ship. Don't get me wrong, that wasn't an awful lot of fun. Um, but this idea that there's something about my story that that connects with other people and helps them share their story and helps them see their story perhaps in a light that they hadn't seen it before and as a as a tool for development rather than just this horror anchor, if you like. Yeah, yeah, I love that tool for development. I think that's that's a, a really really good way of putting it because I think I think we can use those and and if nothing else, sharing your story can validate somebody else's story. So it's not it's not about you when you stand up there and share your story. It's about the audience. You know, you you're not the hero of of that talk. It's the audience, and that you know they need to they they'll find something in your story that will validate theirs. One of the things I always try and do in my coaching or tutoring or wherever it is that I'm doing is what I call normalization. Um, and and it's something to do with what, you know, both the kind of the myth and the power of leadership. I think some of us put leadership on a bit of a pedestal. It's something that other people do really well. It's the Gandhis. It's not little old folks like us. Um, and then by extension, um, getting leadership wrong is something that only really bad people do. I've got leadership wrong so many times I've lost count. And I try and normalize uh, both the fact that none of us are perfect products, none of us are finished products, even the best leaders will carry on learning and developing. And actually all of us in our lives have probably been accidental monsters or bad leaders in some way. So a lot of my storytelling is not just kind of sharing uh, you know, stories like the sinking ship, but stories where I've got leadership catastrophically wrong. Um, and I'm very happy to share. Yeah, don't do it that way. Uh, you know, if, if anyone can learn vicariously from not doing it the way I've done it, uh, you know, I'm all for sharing that kind of thing. We're not ending here, just taking a quick break to remind you that you are listening to Power to Speak, the podcast with my guest, Joanna Hooper. We'll be back with Joanna after we hear from our friend, fellow podcaster and master of verbal communication, Andrew Thorpe. We're all in the persuasion business, whether that's pitching to a potential client, selling ourselves in a job interview, or convincing a teenager to tidy their room. How we frame our message and how we deliver it makes all the difference. And this is the theme of my podcast, Leaning Forward. I'm Andrew Thorpe. I'm a speaker, a trainer and a storyteller. And I'd love you to tune in to our latest episode. Absolutely. So what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really sure if I'm honest with you. Actually, that's utter nonsense. I do know. I just don't think I ever wanted to admit it when I was younger. Oh, go on, tell me, tell me. I wanted to be an actress. <gasps> so did I. <laughs>
Do you know though, Joanne, I, I knew that about you because you, you did can, not. I, I could, <laughs> you could just tell by the way that you that you perform for that TED talk uh, that you know there is there is something of the performer in you that is mm. quite natural. Mm. So yeah, tell, tell tell me a little bit more about that. Why why did you not go down that route? So again, it comes back to the confidence thing. So when I was at school, uh, um, we I think back at my because I was up at a boarding school, they used to call it. Uh, elocution lessons or as we used to call it electrocution lessons um but actually it was all about speech and drama and I did some speech and drama exams uh when I was at school and um at the time I I was really fascinated with taking that further and doing it professionally but honestly I didn't think I was any good I had zero confidence about it and many years later apparently my art or my drama teacher said to my mother she's brilliant she'll be fabulous on television she's got perfect you know expressive face for television well if only she could have told me that in the moment that would have been quite helpful but telling yeah. <laughs> my mother telling me some years later by the by which time I'd already joined the Navy and kind of disposed of my dreams of becoming an actress. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't all that helpful. I honestly had no confidence in myself. I thought I was rubbish. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I do have a, a similar story, actually, because when I was 16, I went to my careers teacher and said I wanted to be an actress. And she almost laughed in my face, to be fair. <laughs> and and actually, I thought I was quite good. I knew I was quite good. And my mum was sat beside me and going, oh, she's very good. She's very good. But the, the, the careers officer just sort of shook her head and went, no what, what else can you do and I said well I'm not bad at art and that was it I was off to mm. not that you know I loved art that was fine but it was just the fact that if she didn't believe me this careers teacher who, who else you know nobody was nobody was going to believe me so I, ju I just dropped it and I didn't I didn't come back to it until I was in my sort of mid mid to late 20s really and that's when I went to drama school <laughs> Well, I, I think mine's even later than that. So I, you know, I did these um, uh, exams and stuff when I was, what, 16, 17, 18, and then I joined the Navy. And there was no place for all of that, thank you, except in the sods operas, do you know what I mean? Um, so actually, I didn't come back round to it until the TED Talk. And it was the TED Talk that really almost like took me full circle back to that performing, as you said, you know. Yeah. I don't know if you remember your um, your exams where, you know, you'd walk into the room with a, you know, adjudicator sat at the far end behind a table, shake their hand, hello, my name's Joanna, I'm going to do a piece from Ring of Bright Water, and then go back to the other side of the <gasps> and get straight into it, you know. Uh, and for me, the TED Talk was a bit like that. The minute you stepped yeah. on the red dot, you were in performance mode. Yeah. And kind of that being able to kind of flick it straight on, go from normal to performing in a in a yeah. moment, that yeah. took me right back there, to be honest with you. Yeah. And that was yeah. somewhat older than 20s. Well, well, no, I mean, obviously, we, we were talking before we started recording that you have a gold medal, a Lambda gold medal in speaking, I do. Growth, which I also have as well. And I'm very, very proud of. So now that you've done the TED Talk, was that the, was that the first sort of public speaking thing that you had done since the Navy? And do you think being an officer in the Navy helped you with that performance? Do you think it sort of shaped you a little bit more as a performer? Hmm, that's a really interesting one. So I had done um, standing up in front of other people and talking. I'd done um, a couple of, if you like, professional gigs. So I've got, I had a couple of um, speaking gigs for a think tank called RUSI, um, talking about, you know, workforce futures for the armed forces. Um, and I had a, a, a guest appearance at Cranfield University on one of their major uh, leadership programs where I would talk about the sinking ship and resilience and stuff. But I'd never done any... Um, what I would call proper speaking gigs, if you like. Uh, so TEDx was my first one. And I remember talking to somebody who was a professional speaker who poo-pooed TEDx as being, you know, sort of a bit, oh, well, you know, 
go off and do that if you like, but it's not really, nobody takes that seriously. But for me, that was the first step into the ladder of professional speaking. Um, and, the, and, the, and the military equipping me, yes or no? Uh, so I think there are some things it really helped with posture, poise, uh, understanding how you move and fidget when you're talking. Great. What I found less helpful, it almost uh, made me a robot and I had to kind of deconstruct that. So from the TED talk, I really experimented with fluidity and of movement. So particularly when I'm talking about stepping ashore into life rafts and I kind of do that sort of slight jaunt. Um, yeah, that, that didn't come from the Navy. That was definitely more of the performer in me than the naval briefer, if you like. So in some respects, I found that the, the naval experience hindered me a bit because it made me a bit stiff and mm. a bit too formal. And I had to kind of loosen up again, yeah. and, you know, kind of shake that off a bit, you know, but kind of not throwing away everything. So understanding about what you're doing with your hands, you know, if you're doing yeah. too much of this business, uh, you know, that was kind of helpful. Yeah. Did you have uh, any coaching? on that yes a uh, lovely lady called adrienne saunders i don't know if you're if you've come I across do. her I'm very aware of adrienne. Um, yeah so she was our pro bono uh professional speaking coach for the tedx and um she gave me two really great bits of advice the first one was lean into the story so that was part of that kind of almost embodying yeah. the story. Do you see, I just did that with the shoulders went then. Yeah, yeah. And, and the second one was using my humor. She said to me, I had a really nice, safe sense of humor and I could use that, uh, you know, really kind of um, really lean into that as well. And again, that was something that I was uh, experimenting with to some respects with the TED Talk, you know, using that sense of humor and and and, and liking it, if I'm honest yeah, with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think a bit of a think it, it really made you very relatable actually that you know the humor was something that um yeah I, d I don't think you can uh be as engaging as you know as you possibly can be without humor I think you know no because it, it again it, it's that connection with the audience it kind of really it's an emotional it's a it's a gut reaction um and an audience will remember that so if you can, yes. if you can sort of find something that's going to emotionally connect with your audience, whether it's, I mean, there are other things apart from humour, but humour is quite universal. So, yes. yeah. yeah. I really so, liked it, actually. The first time I used it, the first time I talked about the ship flooding was actually to a bunch of other naval logistics officers. And it was the same sort of length as the TED Talk. And I remember talking about fear and I felt like fear was a bit of a taboo topic because as military officers, you, you know, fear is one of those... No, you don't want to feel that. You just want to get on with it. And I and I used humour to break the atmosphere after talking about fear. Yeah. Um, and that was the first time I'd really experimented with the power of humour and how you can use it as for transitions between uh, something serious to something else, or you know, a transition from one topic to the next, or something like that, as well as a, a way of expressing my own sort of sense of personality and take on the world. Yeah. I do wonder, just sort of talking about the formality of, of the Navy and, I mean, because as you were talking there and, and you were saying you, it made you quite robotic, I can imagine that not just the formality of, of being in the Navy, but the formality and the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the fact that it's it's very male dominated, is that, it, did you find that there was almost like an extra layer of yeah. perfectionism that you had to have to kind of rise above the fact that you were you were talking to, uh, you know, a room full of potentially a room full of men. I think there were certain things that were taken out of context. So expressing feelings, I think, would have been it wouldn't have been seen as expressing feelings. It would have been seen as 
some sort of weakness or fluffiness or sentimentality or something like that. Um, there's a word that we used to kick around, you know, one must have gravitas. And even that word yeah. feels quite male uh, in the way that you describe it. And what does that even mean anyway? Um, so, yes, I, I did feel like uh, I don't know if you've heard this expression before about aping, you know, when you 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 become like the others in order to fit yeah. in. And I did feel like I'm I'm more authentic Joanna now than perhaps I would have been then as a result of that. Yeah, I mean, that that sort of came across when you were talking about the humour and the fact that, you know, that you've, you've now been able to kind of interject that it, it, it put that humour into what it is that you're speaking about. Yeah. I mean, I, I find when I'm coaching especially in in sort of corporate situations if i'm in a, in a room with leaders that they they have a persona that they have to, they feel they have to live up to you yes. know they have to be very formal they have to speak in a certain way use a certain language which yes. is fair enough you know it's their, that's their profession they they kind of need that but what i love to do is to just just you know get them running around the room and pretending to be someone else and throwing it all up in the air and 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 getting them to play because i think like you were talking about you know you, you when you're in that situation of of introducing humor and and movement and that sort of performance stuff i think you almost and certainly in my drama classes to to you you're kind of almost taking on another character so you have to get rid of all of the stuff that you've learned that has kind of yes. bound you up into this sort of little ball over the years um and just loosen it all off actually you, you did that too is that kind yes. of shake it all off and almost start again it's like okay yes. well I can you know I, I'm not going to be any less professional by being more relatable by yes. showing some vulnerability by telling you my story by sharing a joke you know, it, it, that still makes you relatable, whether you're talking to um, a, a room full of uh, your employees or whether you're talking to investors or, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter what level you're talking on. You, you need that kind of relatability. You do. And I suppose there's two uh, observations I, I notice. Um, the first one is uh, I, I've certainly given um, I, I, I talk now in my speeches a bit more kind of. Um, colloquial I guess than I might yeah. have done and I've definitely had feedback you know if she says the word kinder once more time I'm going to smash her in the face you know so there are unfortunately still folks out there for whom uh this more relaxed delivery style doesn't work and the second thing is uh knowing that there are folks out there that don't like it it then gets in your head and you then find yourself adopting a level of formality because your confidence starts to get well certainly when I say one you know, this is you, you one one's confidence starts to get jarred and then you start to go well, I must I'm you know I must formalize myself again so yeah. for me there's always a constant battle between who I want to be and having the confidence to be that person and kind of saying okay so for every person that goes oh I don't like her delivery cool you know yeah hopefully there'll yeah. be a couple of folks who do yeah well this is you know it's it's finding it's finding your voice that then relates to other people that that you want to kind of be the that those are the people that you want to work with yes so i mean i i don't know obviously we all want to work so we don't want to turn people away but i kind of i, I kind of feel that if people don't like the my delivery then maybe they're not the person i want to work with but obviously you know people have their professions and they're you know they need to stay professional so I suppose there is a little bit of of uh, keeping hold of that formality if, uh, if you really need to. Yes I guess it's about being clear when it's appropriate and when it's you know you can, you've got the freedom to step out from behind it. 
Yeah, yeah. So what is what is um, a hybrid hero? So um, I don't know about you, but my my business doesn't look anything like it did a couple of years ago (laughs) where I was commuting four hours a day up to London and back several times a week. Um, So I'm sort of combining my consulting, coaching, tutoring, public speaking expertise with my own experiences of pivoting my stuff online and uh, doing huge amounts of personal development online, particularly in 2020 when it all went a bit quiet for me, certainly. And what I really noticed was um, how some people who were, you know, spent 20 years, say, for example, delivering in person overnight doing it online, but with a fraction of the level of expertise and insight and experience and and polishing that they've done for their for their face to face. And uh, what I started to notice was a whole bunch of people who were really good at what they did, but because they didn't have that same level of polish for their online as in person, they were missing out in some way or it wasn't Mm. quite going as well as they might like. So um, I actually had a session with um, uh, a business coach who described online delivery or helping other people do online delivery really well as a bit of my zone of genius, which I hadn't necessarily attributed. But for some reason, it kind of clicks together all of my experiences and my um, and the things that I think I'm all right at. And it help, it helps me help uh, other business owners kind of really become a hybrid hero. Um, I've got another uh, course, which is called Host Like a Hero, uh, which is kind of similar. Um, but that's all about how do you use the technology? How do you set up your fuss-free home studio, as I call it? How do you manage yourself in the moment, you know, before you go on stage, if you like? So there's a lot of acting um, analogy used in it, as you might imagine. Um, and the hybrid here is about, you know, what are you doing about your working environment to make sure your online is matching your face-to-face in terms of quality? So, for example, I, uh, I had a yoga teacher come on and do the course and um, didn't want to wear a headset when they were performing. But naturally, therefore, their voice disappeared the minute they went into, you know, the standing dog or whatever it is over there. And we talked about, you know, what could you get on the ceiling in film of a multi-directional kind of um uh, microphone so kind of just helping people really really examine all the parts of their delivery online and figure out how they might then switch that up in terms of of quality I mean, it's so needed isn't it at the moment and certainly every every zoom room networking call that I've been on and I've told people what it is that I do it's like oh my gosh I need that I need you know <laughs> because suddenly and, and and it's not just about the the transition from in person to online I think it's it's also that kind of the fact that now people are customers clients expect to see you they expect to hear you yeah uh, it's it's we can't hide behind business cards anymore really um, so think, people are trying having to learn a whole new thing yes. Well, there's two things I'd say to that, actually. The first one is um, I think our tolerance for for DIY in the online space is evaporating. So because now online is becoming much more de rigueur, um, I'm not willing to see your pants in the background or the kids running back and forth. You know, I want it to feel and look as professional as it would if you were sat in a in a conference room or in a training room. I think that's the first one. Yeah, um, I've I've tried to um, I've changed I've, I've changed my background for you today, actually. I love, I love it. <laughs> Because I suddenly sort of thought with the background I had before, it was kind of getting a bit cluttered. This is less cluttered, um, but it's, you know, it's not the same as, ha- as having a studio. 
No, and I think we don't all have the luxury to create our own little bespoke, uh, you know, offices or corners of the lounge or whatever it might be. So we have to make do with what we've got. So I'm in my conservatory, which this morning was three degrees. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, in the, in the height of summer then turns into 40 degrees, um, so which is not ideal. Um, but I think just being really mindful about what it is that you're delivering. So I think definitely our expectations of um, cuffing it, as we used to say in the Navy, have definitely diminished. And actually, a lot more of us want to deliver this way anyway. So why not get it looking as professional as you're in person? You know, because then you're going to compete with the likes of there's a friend of mine who's been doing online training for 10 years. And and honestly, her setup looks like an air traffic control center, you know, so that's who you're competing with, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and I've sort of discovered or looking at different platforms other than Zoom to actually mm. work to actually work with, you know, like with StreamYard, it's, mm. you know, it's a little bit more interesting. So, yes. you know, and you can do meetings on this and you can have up yeah. to 10 people and and, and all, all of those things. So I think it's worth, you know, now nobody had heard of Zoom two years ago. Nobody even knew what it was. Um, whereas now there are, there are new platforms coming online all the time, different ways of doing yeah. presentations too. So I think it's worth people looking at different different ways of doing stuff online. Yes, and I'm certainly not an expert on the packages that you can use and things like that. Uh, where I try and help people is just be more mindful about the thinking that they might do about whether or not what they're using is fit for purpose. You know, does it produce as quality a service as what they were doing in person? Is there something that needs to change? Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. That's that's where I kind of take people on their thinking journey, really. Yeah, yeah. And the, in the resilience side of things, are you st mm. you're still running boot camps around resilience? I am. So um, the way that it tends to work is obviously something like the TED Talk kind of plants the seed of the stress deserves diagnosis uh, um, angle I take to dealing with um, stress and resilience. And the boot camps are an opportunity for you to um, do, you know, get some help with that diagnostic, do it in, 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 in real time, maybe use some other folks to kind of co-create or collaborate on the thinking so we, you know we don't always always have the best ideas just for ourselves so each of the boot camps is an opportunity for you to you know collaborate and co-create your personalized resilience plan so um in the in the ted talk you will have heard me talk about you know if you go googling top tips for resilience you know you get 49 million hits flipping heck um so it's this idea that you get really um specific on what you need to build your resilience not what janine from accounts needs or anyone else quite frankly but you know do some work on figuring out what you need and the boot camps are an opportunity to do that basically. Yeah. So what is your top tip on, on building? <laughs> Having said three top tips on build resilience, what would be your one thing that would kind of define what it is to be resilient? Oh, Because <sighs> it is a word that seems to be used a lot and I just wonder whether people actually really understand so that's really interesting. One of the things that I used to talk about with with Cranfield University was, um, do we know what we mean by resilience? Um, do we think it's somehow impervious or in, unflappable? You know, do we think that when uh, people who get the um, Victoria Cross, when they dart across battlefields, aren't feeling fear? Because I'm here to tell you they flipping are. They've just managed to master it in some way. So certainly the key thing for me is I used to say this uh our, our resilience is forged through adversity, not despite it. So this idea that if we never test ourselves, we never grow. Uh, if we never um, 
put ourselves in difficult circumstances we don't know what we're capable of you know if you just said to me so here's the deal Joanna um you're going to stay awake for the best part of three days you're going to need to make some life-changing decisions about keeping the ship afloat and you're going to need to do that while quite tired probably haven't eaten for 12 hours and the ship's going to be rolling really badly and in danger of capsizing cool I'd have gone, oh, no, that's not me. And you don't know what you're capable of until you give something a go. So definitely this sense that resilience is forged through adversity, not by avoiding it, I think. Absolutely agree with that. Yeah. So how can people get in touch with you? So how can they find out about the coaching that you do and how they they can work with you? I've got your website here. Is that the best place? Yes, um, on my website is a, little, a lovely little contact us section, I think. Uh, you can book direct with me, actually. I think on my web website, because I use uh, a diary booking system, you can book a free consultation with me. So you always get uh, half an hour to an hour uh, on me, with me. Um, and we can kick around whatever you like, quite frankly. Um, there's a couple of my free little events like the Hybrid Hero um, and the Resilience Boot Camps are uh, paid events, but nonetheless, they're quite affordable, I think. You can drop me an email, which is basically my first name at my god awful long business name uh.co.uk um or you can find me on linkedin uh, i'm on there quite a bit as well oh yeah, yeah. as if See, by magic you, you do like long I know. Exactly. I don't know what that is about. <laughs> I need to see if anyone's uh, got the domain name LPP and just shorten it to that, I think, don't I? Yes. Yeah, that might be a way to go. Fabulous. Oh, well, thank you very much for your time today. It's been lovely oh, to talk to you. you. I feel like I've, I've found somebody that talks my language. A fellow Lambda. Um, a, fe a fellow Lambda. Yeah. I also hear that you have a motorcycle license. So oh, yeah. Do, how, how often do you get out on a bike? Not so much now. Um, I used to quite a bit. I used to kid myself that I looked like Trinity from the Matrix because I, I drove or I rode a black ninja, um, but not for a while now. And I've always been rubbish with the colds and the wet, quite frankly. That's never fun on a motorbike. Um, but uh, unfortunately, my uh, current partner used to work with the ambulance service and, uh, and has regrettably seen too many motorcyclists come off the wrong side of a discussion with a car or a lorry. So he's not a massive fan. So probably not for a while now. But yes. No. But it wasn't something you had to do for the Navy. It wasn't something. No, no, like, no. Like, it was uh, purely for fun. Yeah. They've always frightened the life out of me. So, yeah. I've been well, they the do back. me too. <laughs> but I, and I, do you know what? Going back to the old uh, resilience is forged through adversity. That may be why I liked it, because at all times you are sort of on the edge of your comfort zone and, and what you think you can do versus what the bike can do and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, maybe that's why I liked it. Yeah. And have you got any talking engagements coming up? Any speaking I have got a couple. So uh, this week I'm talking to something called the ARNO, the Association of Royal Naval Officers, all about stress and resilience, and they do like a story of a sinking ship. Uh, the week after that, uh, the lovely uh, Adrienne Saunders is part of something called Wine, Women and Wisdom. Uh, I think that's the 26th that we're speaking. Um, I've got a session on that one as well. That's in the evening. Um, I've got an inquiry tomorrow. Uh, randomly, uh, people who want to talk about air safety want to use my sinking ship story. I think because all the stories are the, uh, sorry, all the lessons are the same, but the story is like so far out of whack compared to air safety. It kind yeah. of lands quite well. I should hope so with air safety. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> uh, I think that's all I can think of at the moment. But yeah, a few things coming up. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, have a have a fabulous 2022. Sounds very Thank exciting. You. And yeah. you. And I would absolutely recommend listening to Joanna's TED TEDx talk. It's TEDx Southampton. 
It is. If you if you go on the TED.com website and look me up, I think I'm the only one there. So I should be dead easy to find. Yeah, I will put all these links for those of you that are listening to the audio of this podcast. I will put all the links in the show notes. Uh, but otherwise, you can find us on YouTube and and watch us. Watch me play with StreamYard, which is great fun. <laughs> thank you very much, Joanna, and enjoy the rest of your week. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely to speak to you. Many thanks to Joanna for sharing her journey and sinking ship story. It has shaped who and what she does today. So what's your sinking ship story? What's the story that changed you forever? It might be a traumatic experience that meant you faced your or someone you love's mortality. I have one of those. Or it might be something that you were part of that inspired or motivated you to take the next step or turn a different corner. It doesn't matter. That story is part of you and can be used to inspire, validate or motivate others. So contact me if you'd like me to help you uncover the story or suggest how to use it. Also, let me know if you've ever known or perhaps been the accidental monster or been forced to look in the ugly mirror. I think I may have. And remember... If you, like all of us, are in the persuasion business and need inspiration or tips on the art of verbal communication, then tune in to Leaning Forward with our friend Andrew Thorpe. Find Leaning Forward on your favourite podcast platform. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, then please leave a five-star review on whichever platform you're on. And if you'd like to receive information about future guests or would like to know more about Power to Speak coaching, then sign up for our fortnightly newsletter at powertospeak.co.uk. Bye for now.